The Old Testament reading is Psalm 103, and this is the inerrant and infallible Word of God of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And now let's turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. We are continuing our study of Paul's epistle to the Romans. And this morning we are at chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. So Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will abide forever. If you have attended a Good Friday service on the Friday before Easter, uh, you know that uh, the mood of that service is uh, one uh, that is somber, um, uh, subdued, because on that day on Good Friday, uh, we remember the death of Jesus on the cross. And um, as we do so, we we grieve uh, our own sin, 
that led Jesus to die on our behalf. Uh, when we hear uh, about how the people uh, shouted out uh, to uh, the authorities in Jerusalem, crucify him, crucify him, we, we grieve because we also know that apart from God's grace, we too uh, would have rejected Jesus and we would have cried out for his death. And so uh, when we reflect upon, when we think about the death of Jesus uh, appropriately, we do so um, in a very solemn and, and contrite uh, frame of mind. But then uh, three days after Good Friday, of course, is uh, Easter Sunday or Resurrection Day. And uh, we gather on that day to, to worship the resurrected Lord Jesus. And the mood is one that is completely different. It is a mood of celebration, of rejoicing, of exaltation. Uh, he is risen. The tomb is empty. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Let us be glad and give thanks to the Lord uh, for this good news. And so it's appropriate that we respond to the death of Jesus and to the resurrection of Jesus with these different moods or tempers. But there's also many reasons why we also, or why we ought not just to be in a solemn frame of mind when we consider the death of Jesus, but there are also reasons why we ought to rejoice in the death of Jesus. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul gives us at least two reasons why the cross of Christ, his, his death on the cross for us, ought to be for us a cause for rejoicing, uh, for ex exaltation in hearts of what God has done for us. First of all, uh, the cross shows us the love of God. Uh, secondly, the cross assures us of our salvation. And these will be the two reasons. Uh, points that we focus on uh, this morning as we look at these verses from Romans. So first of all, the cross shows us the love of God. Uh, in verse 5, so the, the verse right before our passage, um, we are told that the hope that we have in Christ will not put us to shame. If your hope is in Jesus Christ, uh, you will never be let down. Uh, God will not disappoint you. You will, never show, you'll, you will never be shown to be a fool uh, for believing in Christ. Uh, but you have every assurance that God will most certainly fulfill all the promises that he has given to you in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so hope will not put us to shame. And in verse 5, uh, the ground or the basis that we are given uh, for having this assurance that hope will not put us to shame is the fact that, as Paul says in verse 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom, uh, who has been given to us. And so because God has given us, uh, He's poured out His love into our hearts by the Spirit, this is uh, the reason why we can be assured uh, that hope in Christ will not put us to shame. Now, what Paul is speaking about there in verse 5 is a subjective reality. Uh, that is to say, we experience by faith deep in our hearts this truth that in Jesus Christ we are loved by God. And uh, this is one of the great blessings of being a Christian, of knowing by faith that God is your Father, that Christ is your Savior. It is, that, it is knowing at the heart level with that kind of knowledge that is... Uh, Perhaps a knowledge that surpasses understanding, um, a knowledge that you are loved by God. 
that you are loved by the God of all creation, that he is your Father in heaven who loves you. Nevertheless, you know from your own experience as a Christian that you don't always enjoy this sense of God's love for you uh, to the same degree. You know that there are times when you don't feel as though you are loved by God. Perhaps there are times when you even begin to doubt or to question uh, whether God truly does love you. And this can happen when we struggle with sin, uh, when we struggle with temptation, or for whatever reason our hearts are downcast or depressed. We don't register in our hearts that sense of the love of God for us. We don't experience that sense that God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. But thankfully, God gives us more than just this subjective uh, knowledge of his love. But he also reveals to us in his word uh, the truth. He shows us in the scriptures the truth and the magnitude of his love for you and me in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, we can put it this way. God's love for us in Christ is not only a subjective reality that that we sense in our hearts by the Spirit, but it is also an objective reality, something that is true no matter how you and I may be feeling, no no matter what you may be experiencing in your hearts. Even if you feel that you have been abandoned or forsaken by God, the truth is that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been loved by God with a love that never changes and never diminishes. His love for you is steadfast, it is everlasting, And it does not depend upon your experience of it or how you feel at the present. We could put it another way. What you feel or what you experience is not the evidence. It is not the measure of God's love for you. Rather, the evidence or the measure of God's love for you is this. It is the death of his son on the cross. It is the death that Jesus died specifically for you, for you. In these verses, Paul shows us just how amazing, just how full of wonder uh, this love of God is for us in Christ. And he does so by comparing the love of God with what is the greatest expression of human love. Uh, The most profound way that a human being can um, express love towards another human being is by dying for that person. Obviously, uh, that is a very rare thing. Uh, Paul says uh, that it is almost never the case uh, that one person will die for another person simply because that person uh, is righteous. Um, I've never heard of anybody uh, that died for another person just because uh, that person knew that the person he was dying for was pious or godly or righteous. But we do hear sometimes in extraordinary circumstances, of one person laying down his life for another because he is good. Uh, That is to say, he is worthy uh, to sacrifice his life for. Uh, That person is uh, someone for whom he or she has great personal affection. And so he is willing even to lay down his life for him. Uh, We can think of an example, uh, a soldier in war, who throws himself on a live grenade in order to protect his his friends from the explosion. Or a mother uh, who runs into traffic in order to protect her child uh, from getting hit by a car. 
And when we hear about these, these acts of extraordinary self-sacrifice, we, we are humbled, we are awed at the depths of, of love that can reside in the human heart of, of one person for another. That one person is willing even to die uh, in order to, to save the life of another. But the love of God, Paul is telling us, the scripture is telling us, is far greater than even the greatest demonstration of human love. The love of God was known to us when Jesus died, not for the righteous, when he died, not for the good, but he died for sinners, for sinners. Paul says in verse eight, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in these verses, Paul describes uh, the nature of our sinful condition uh, in different ways. In verse six, he says this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. By, by calling us weak, what, what he is saying here is this, that our weakness is that we are spiritually, morally, completely incapable of saving ourselves, of doing anything in order to uh, obtain God's grace or salvation. It's the same thing, essentially, as what Paul says in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 2.5, he says, we were dead. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. So as sinners, we are, our, our weakness consists of this, that we are as spiritually incapable of saving ourselves as a corpse is incapable of coming to life or doing anything for himself. And so Christ died for us when we were sinners. He died for us when we were weak, that is, incapable of helping ourselves. He died for us when we were ungodly. He says that in verse 6. He says that Christ died for the ungodly. What that means is that in our sin, by nature, we have no desire for God. We have no interest in God. The totality of our thoughts, our words, our actions, our habits and lives are are self-centered, not God-centered. And so in our sin, by nature, as sinners, we are literally God-less. But it's for these spiritually corrupt, morally bankrupt unrighteous, ungodly people. That is what we are apart from Christ. It is for these that Jesus laid down his life. But there's even more we can say about our sin. And Paul uh, touches on this later in this passage. In verse 10, he says that in our sin, we are enemies of God. He says that he calls us enemies of God. What this means is that we have not only sinned against God, but we, in our sin, we are in active rebellion against him. The God who created us, who gives us life, who has lawful authority over us as our God, we rebel against him in our sin. We attack him with our sin. We offend him with our unbelief. In our sin and unbelief, we hate God and we are at war against him. And so when Paul says that God shows his love for us in this, that Christ died for sinners, it means that God shows his love for us and that he sent his, die, he sent his son to die for those who were his active enemies, who had nothing in their hearts towards God but animosity and hatred. And it was in this sinful state, this enmity against God, it was in this state that God... When we were in that state, God sent his son to die for us. 
Now, when someone sins against you and hurts you, uh, when you are convinced that that person even hates you, what is your natural reaction towards that person? It is revenge. To exchange hurt for hurt, hatred for hatred. Now, praise God, he gives us grace, that by, by his grace, we can even forgive those who hurt us. We can forgive those who um, are out to get us. Even by the grace of God, we can um, be brought to the point where we harbor no ill will towards those who have mistreated us. But even then, would you dare to die for that person who is your enemy? Or would you even entertain the thought of giving up your child, giving up the life of your child for the sake of the good of your enemy? But this is what God has done for us. God so loved us as sinners. He loved us in our enmity against him that he gave up his eternally beloved, his eternally begotten son for us. There is, there is no human equivalent to this kind of love. This is divine love. This is otherworldly love. This is heavenly love. Uh, John Calvin said about this passage, there does not exist among mankind such an example of kindness as Christ has shown to us. You know, this is almost an argument for the truth of the Christian faith, is it not? Because no human mind could possibly conceive of such a love as this. Where would we ever come up with this idea, this notion that somebody should not only forgive his enemy, but actually lay down his life for his enemy, even while his enemy still hated him? But this is the love of God for us. And we can only know this love by revelation from God. And God has revealed it to us in the death of his son, Jesus. He loved us. He died for us when we were weak, ungodly, and the enemies of God. And in our day and age, it's so, it's so important, it's so vital for us as Christians to always have in our hearts and our minds this biblical definition of the true quality, the nature, the, the depth of the love of God for us. And the reason for this is because we live in a culture in which the love of God is so trivialized, it is so misunderstood, it is so taken for granted. I would be uh, willing to bet, I don't gamble, but I would be willing to bet that if you went up to 100 people on the street and you asked them, um, does God love you? That a majority at least, I, I don't know, this is just a speculation, but I bet many people at least would say, uh, of course, yes, God loves me. Because God loves everybody. Because that's just what God does. That's who God is. He loves everybody. Of course he loves me. He loves you. We hear about it all the time. God, God loves you. But what does that mean? How do we know the true nature, the true quality of, of the love of God? And how is that expressed? How is that shown to us? Well, this is what this passage is showing us. And the only way for us to have a true understanding, a true appreciation of what God's love is all about is to see that love as it is manifested specifically 
in the gospel, in the gift of Jesus Christ for sinners, for sinners that we may live through him. And so for us, the love of God, God forbid it ever become for us a a meaningless mantra or an empty cliche that we just talk about God's love. But to know the love of God, look to the cross of Jesus and see there the Son of God, holy, undefiled, sinless, laying down his life for his enemies, for sinners, for you, for me. And when you understand the love of God in its true light, as God manifested it in the gift of his Son, when you come to see that, then the love of God then, or, or, the, or the death of Jesus then fills your heart with joy, with boundless joy, with thanksgiving, with praise, because you know that you have been loved, undeserving, unworthy, though we are, we have been loved by God in his son Jesus with a divine love, an infinite love, a perfect love, a forgiving love, a transforming love. Because God loved you in Christ, he set you apart in eternity to inherit salvation. It was the love of God that, that, that if we can use this language, caused him to set you apart, to be his son, his daughter forever. Because God loved you, his, he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Because he loved you, he has forgiven your sins, he has justified you. Because God loves you and because he continues to love you with the same unchanging love, he will provide for you. He will take care of you. He will cause all things to work out for your good, both in this life and in the life to come. And we see that love manifested most clearly, most magnificently, most wondrously in the cross of Jesus, the Son of God dying for us. This is God's love for you and me. And so the cross of Jesus shows us the love of God. Secondly, the cross assures us of our salvation. The death of Jesus on the cross, as as Paul has been laboring uh, to show us in in the book of Romans, when Jesus died on the cross, um, he, he, he paid the penalty of our sin so that by faith in him, by trusting in him, therefore you are justified. That is, God declares you righteous. You are made right with God on the basis of the cross of Jesus, on the basis of his death. And so the death of Christ then is the foundation, the ground of your salvation today. You know that today you are justified, you are saved because Christ died for you. But the death of Jesus is also the assurance that you will be saved on the day of judgment. And so there is a a future aspect to our salvation. We are saved now completely, totally, but there will be a salvation for us on the day of judgment because on that day, Jesus Christ says in his word that he will come again in the glory of his holy angels. He will come and he will sit in judgment over all people. He will be the judge of every single human being. And for those who did not come to faith or come to Christ by faith in this life, that day of judgment will be the day of wrath. It will be the day in which God pours out his righteous indignation against all those who were unbelievers, who were unjustified in this life because they refused to come to Christ. And as Christians, we ask the question knowing 
that this day is coming, what assurance do I have that I will be delivered from the wrath of God on that day? Well, the assurance that God gives us in these verses is this, that Christ has already died for us. Christ has already died for us, and therefore we have nothing to fear on that day of judgment. In verses 9 and 10, Paul uses a a form of logic in which he argues uh, from the greater to the lesser. And so what he says is this in, in those two verses. He says, if God has already done this great thing for us, then how much more certain is it that he will do this thing for us in the future? And so he says in verse 9, Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And so if when we were sinners, we were justified by the death of Jesus, that is, we were made right by his sacrifice on the cross, then how much more true is it that now that we are already justified, now that we are already made right with God, that we will be saved by Jesus from the coming wrath of God, from the day of judgment. And so what this means for you is that if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you belong to Christ by faith, because you are already forgiven, because you are already counted righteous for the sake of Christ, it is an absolute impossibility, it is unthinkable, it is impossible that you should receive anything but salvation on that day. You cannot be condemned. You will not be condemned as one who belongs to Jesus Christ today. And so you look to the past, to the cross of Jesus, for the assurance of the future, the coming of Jesus, that that day for you will be a day of glory and not condemnation. Likewise, Paul says in verse 10, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And so if the death of Jesus reconciled us to God, While we were his enemies, now that we are reconciled, now that we are no longer God's enemies, but we are his children, we are his beloved sons and daughters, how much more will we we be saved on the day of judgment by the Christ who lives, by the living Christ? And so we have this wonderful assurance that on that day when Christ comes, we we will be saved because we are already saved by faith in Christ. But we need to to remind ourselves of this because we know that that day of judgment is a serious thing. This is a, a reality that we all must reckon with. This is something that we all must face one day, that Christ is coming again. That the entirety of our lives, every thought, every word, every action will be weighed in the scales of God's perfect justice. We know that we will be judged according to the the righteousness, the holiness of God as it it is expressed in his law. And when when we consider that and when we look at our own lives and we see how much unrighteousness, how much impurity, our failings, our sins, when we see how much is in our hearts and our lives that, that falls short of God's standard. Um, the thought of the day of judgment becomes very sobering, perhaps even frightening. How can I be sure? How can I be sure that I will not be condemned? 
Perhaps my sins are too great. Well, the answer is the cross. There is no sin of yours. If, if, if you belong to Christ, there is no sin of yours, whether past, present, or future, that the blood of Jesus does not wash away completely. There is no righteousness that you are lacking before God. You are not 99% of the way there and you need to make up that extra 1%. You are there 100%. You have the perfect righteousness of Christ counted as your very own. And so because Jesus died for you, your salvation on the day of judgment is assured. It is certain. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. Now, just as the unbelieving world has a false idea of the love of God, so the unbelieving world also has a false notion of the hope for the life to come. I'm sure you've had this experience where you're, you're at the, the funeral or a memorial service of somebody um, and, and you have no reason to believe that they were a Christian. Obviously, God can work salvation in the last moments of a person's life, but you have no reason to think that they actually believed in Christ. But at that service, people will tell you or they'll tell other people, well, at least, at least so-and-so is in a better place now. They're not suffering anymore. But that is, that is no hope at all. That is not true hope. That's just an expression of wishful thinking. And I want to ask you, what is your hope for that day when you will meet with your Creator? On that day when you will be judged by Christ? What is your hope? Is it just a vague hope that everyone who dies goes to a better place? Um, is your hope that you've been a good person? That you have tried to be uh, moral and decent and upright? That though you have done some things that aren't so good, your, your good things will outweigh and outnumber the bad things? If this is your hope for the life to come, if this is your hope for the day of judgment, you have no hope. This is no hope at all. The only certain hope that you can have for that day when you stand before Christ as your judge is the hope of the death of Christ that he will give you if you come to him in faith. If you, by faith, believe that Jesus died for your sin, if by faith you have come to Christ in humility and repentance, if you are trusting in Jesus as your Savior, then you have true, true hope for the life to come. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, this is, this is the glory of the cross, one of the glories of the cross. It is the guarantee of your salvation on the day of judgment. And so when you consider the death of Jesus then, this is another reason for you to rejoice because your salvation is assured. And that's what Paul goes on to say to us in verse 11. He says that we rejoice. We rejoice. He's been talking about uh, the death of Jesus, how we are reconciled to God, how we are justified. And he says we rejoice. He says more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Notice what Paul says there, we rejoice in God. We rejoice in God. 
A great part of the joy that we have in God because of the death of Jesus is that the death of Jesus has brought us into this right fellowship, this right communion, this right relationship with God that had been broken by our sin. And so our joy is not only that we are saved from the eternal destruction and wrath that is to come, but our joy is that we have now been brought back to a right relationship, communion with God. And this is what God has created us for. And so we rejoice in God with whom we are reconciled by the death of Christ. Well, in God's providence, uh, today as we uh, have, are considering this passage from Romans that speaks so much of the, of the death of Jesus and all that that means for us, Today is the day that we also come to the Lord's table. And at the Lord's table, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so uh, this is an occasion for us to reflect upon uh, the death of Jesus. And as we do so, as we consider, as we, as we see the bread and the cup, as we, as we eat the bread and drink the cup, and as we are reminded that the body of Jesus was broken for us, that the blood of Jesus was shed for us, we do want to do so with with a somber, contrite state of mind to grieve our sins. But we also want to rejoice. We can rejoice in the death of Jesus. Rejoice in God's love for you as that has been revealed in the death of Christ. Rejoice in the assurance that he has given you that because Jesus died for you, your salvation is secure. Rejoice in the communion that you now have with God as your Father, through Jesus Christ, your Savior. Let's pray.